You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Jeremiah 17. We'll begin reading at verse 19, and we'll read through to the end of the chapter, verse 27. In our text this morning, we'll be reading about the account of the Lord Jesus healing someone on the Sabbath and the opposition that he faced in light of that. And it's in that connection then that we read the word of the Lord through Jeremiah about keeping the Sabbath holy. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and stand at the gate of the people through which the kings of Judah go in and go out. Stand also at all the other gates of Jerusalem. Say to them, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and all people of Judah and everyone living in Jerusalem who come through these gates. This is what the Lord says. Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. Do not bring a load out of your houses or do any work on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your forefathers. Yet they did not listen or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and would not listen or respond to discipline. But if you are careful to obey me, declares the Lord, and bring no load through the gates of this city on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy by not doing any work on it, then kings who sit on David's throne will come through the gates of this city with their officials. They and their officials will come riding in chariots and on horses, accompanied by the men of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, and this city will be inhabited forever. People will come from the towns of Judah and the villages around Jerusalem, from the territory of Benjamin and the western foothills, from the hill country in the Negev, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings, incense and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. But if you do not obey to keep, obey me to keep the Sabbath day holy by not carrying any load as you come through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle an unquenchable fire in the gates of Jerusalem that will consume her fortresses. Our text this morning is John chapter 5, the verses 1 through 30. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured and picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. 
So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son of man can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. And those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we come this morning to John chapter 5. It's good to get a sense of, of where we are in this book of John. We hope in weeks following, leading up all the way till Easter, to work through various passages in John all the way up until the resurrection. But we will not be working with the passages before this. In John, up to this point in chapter 5, the Lord Jesus has been doing miraculous works. He's been showing supernatural knowledge. He's been doing supernatural deeds. He's been showing His power. And His deeds up to this point have been fairly well received. Shows his power and the disciples come to believe in him and follow him. He speaks with the Samaritan woman woman at the well and many Samaritans believe. He heals the official's son. And the official seems to have a positive interaction with the Lord Jesus. So it's been quite positive up to this point. But at chapter 5, there's a change. There's a turn. The Lord Jesus continues to reveal his power, but now he faces a lot more opposition in what he does. And so we'll consider the opposition and unbelief that our Lord Jesus faces as he continues to reveal his power, and this time in Jerusalem at the pool of Bethesda. We'll see first the sign that he gives, the healing, and second we'll consider the discussion about the Sabbath that that, that follows and Thirdly, we'll consider what he was revealing through this sign and the discussion of the Sabbath. And that is that he is the Son of God and the Son of Man. 
So Jesus Christ, as he reveals his power here at the pool, he faces unbelief and opposition, a theme that will continue all the way until his life is, he's, he's condemned to death and he gives up his life on the cross. So first he faces unbelief and opposition as he reveals his power in the sign of the pool, as he heals this man. Now Jesus went to Jerusalem for one of the feasts of the Jews. The Jews had three feasts each year that they would go to Jerusalem for. We don't know which one it was, and it's not really important, or else we would have been told. What does Jesus do there? He performs another miraculous sign. You can read in verse 54 that the healing of the official son was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. And now here in Jerusalem, he performs another sign. This time he heals a man. A man who has been an invalid for 38 years. This man was lying by the pool of Bethesda, we read, which was near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem. If you have a sense of the city of Jerusalem, you'll know that the the Temple Mount is on the one side, the east side, northeast side of the city of Jerusalem. That's where the Temple is. Just north of the Temple is where the Sheep Gate was most likely. And just north of the Sheep Gate is where the Pool of Bethesda was. Archaeologists have even found a pool that most likely was the Pool of Bethesda, the very pool that we read about here in Jerusalem. And people, it seems, believed that there was something special about the water of that pool. We're not really told why, except that there was this this disturbance in the water. People thought that the water would apparently become disturbed and... So people thought if they would go in while this water was being disturbed, then they could be healed. Now, why was that water stirring? We don't really know. Because John doesn't tell us and he offers no clues. Did this water have healing powers? It would be quite something if it did. Did the man really have a chance of, of gaining healing by going into this pool, being the first one, as he seemed to believe would help him? Well, Jesus himself gives the idea no credence. He didn't really ask the man what the pool does, and neither did he say that he should have tried to get in. Neither does John, the author. It seems very doubtful that these waters had any healing power. As to why the waters moved, we can only speculate. Perhaps there was a spring, a hidden spring that would at times intermittently gush water into the pool and make the water look like it was being stirred up. But we don't really know all this background. And the focus certainly is not on this background. The focus isn't on the healing powers of the pool. The focus is definitely on healing powers, but not the power of the pool. It's on the power of someone else. And that someone is Jesus Christ. Jesus approaches the man and finds out somehow, perhaps through that supernatural knowledge that he's already shown in this, in the account of John, that the man has been an invalid for 38 years. He finds that out and then he asks him if he wants to get well. Do you want to be healthy? He asks the man who's been an invalid for 38 years. Do you want to be healthy? 
Would you like to have your ability to walk and to move around freely restored after these 38 years of not having it? What do you suppose his answer might have been? It's interesting, though, how the man does answer. He doesn't answer Jesus' question. Instead, he gives an excuse. He, he assumes he knows what Jesus is talking about. You know, why have you been an invalid for so long if you're sitting right by this pool with its healing powers? And he says, well, it's because I, I can't get in fast enough. Every time I'm trying to get in, someone cuts in in front of me. And they get into the water before me. That's why I haven't been healed. And then notice the Lord Jesus' answer. Man gives this description, and Jesus says he pays no attention to his answer whatsoever. And he says to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. The one who spoke the world into existence now speaks life and health back into this man's body. And he gets up. And he walks. The Lord Jesus is no faith healer. Notice that. We read nothing about this man's faith. In fact, everything we read about this man seems to speak against the faith that he may or may not have. Jesus is no faith healer. His miracles don't depend on the worthiness of the recipient of his work. He doesn't need the most eager participant in the world in order to reveal his power. He doesn't need someone whose mind is going to be tricked into believing their legs are better and and wobble off. In fact, that's not the point, that he would be some kind of faith healer. The point is that people would consider this power source, not the healing, but the one who can speak health and life, where it was not before. This is a most surprising miracle and a most surprising healing. There's other healings, many other, that are that are spoken of in the Gospels. This is a very surprising one, though, because of those actions and reactions of the man who was healed. Because he seems to be operating on a totally different plane than the Lord Jesus is operating on. First of all, there's the disconnect between what the Lord Jesus says and and what the man says in response to him. Jesus asks a question, the man doesn't answer it. Jesus doesn't listen to his answer, and then he heals him anyways. And then after the miracle, we don't read of the man full of praise or joy. We don't hear of him running off to the temple to, to worship God there, although that's where Jesus does find him later. We don't read of, of any effusive gratitude toward Jesus. Instead, he he does get up, he obeys, he listens, he gets up, grabs his, ma, his mat and walks away, and then he gets stopped by the Sabbath police, the Jews, who see this man breaking the Sabbath. We read from Jeremiah 17. In their minds, it would have been very clear. It says there, don't pick up a load and walk through a gate of the city. Here this man picks up his mat and walks through the gate. This is a problem. They tell him to stop carrying his mat. And then again, the man responds in a most strange way. Now, try to put yourself into this man's place. You've been an invalid for 38 years. You haven't been able to walk. You, you've been relegated to sitting by this pool, hoping against hope for a miracle. And now you've been healed. 
There's life in your legs. For the first time in 38 years, you got up and you walked. And someone, someone says, what are you doing walking around? And you'd say, I've been healed. My legs work. Someone just healed me. Wow. But what does this man do when, when he's stopped by these Jews? He passes the buck. He doesn't speak about his healing. He doesn't speak about the power of him who healed him. He says, hey, I'm just doing what I was told. You know, I was just laying there by the pool of Bethesda. And someone walked up to me and said, get up, get up, take your mat and walk. And so I listened to him. It's a very curious answer. It certainly doesn't give us the best impression of this man. And that impression is confirmed in the third reaction. The the Jews asked the man, who's this who told you to get up and carry your mat? Who's this man who told you in their mind to break the Sabbath command? And he doesn't know. Later, though, Jesus finds him in the temple and he says to him, sin no more. Sin no more. See you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. What does this mean? Does this mean that Jesus is saying that this man's illness is related to his sin? Elsewhere in this very gospel, in John chapter 9, Jesus teaches us not to associate sin and sickness too closely. That is, many people are sick. Many people suffer for reasons beyond and and completely apart from, in any causal sense, their own actions, whether good or bad. Their sin and their sickness, and there's not always a direct connection between the two. And we certainly need to remember that. But yet, the Lord Jesus does seem to be making a connection here. And we also need to remember that. We really don't know what caused this man's lameness. Nor do we know what kind of man he was while he was waiting at the pool of Bethesda. But it's very possible that this man was an invalid because of his own sin. And that that's what Jesus is pointing to. Jesus, in his supernatural knowledge, knows this man's past. He knows that somehow it was his own sinfulness that that left him an invalid. And so he comes to the man and warns him. Stop sinning. You may find yourself in the very place that you were before. The suffering of sickness can be a sanctifying process for some who, by the grace of God, learn from it. But the suffering of sickness is not necessarily so. It can cause you to harden in sin and in sinful patterns of thought, word, and deed. Perhaps as this man sat by that pool of Bethesda, this pattern of hardening had set in. Either way, Jesus tells the man to take stock of what has happened to him. Take stock of what has happened. Take stock of the miraculous sign that the Lord of all has accomplished through him. Take stock of who has healed you and what that means. And stop sinning. Change your ways. Repent before the Lord and live a new life. And what's the man's reaction to this? Again, it's surprising. 
Okay, he's had this chance to talk to Jesus. Apparently he finds out who this man is. He is Jesus. What does he do? He runs back to the Jews, the Sabbath police who had caught him before, the ones who were giving him a hard time when he had, in their minds, broken the Sabbath. And he tells them that the guy that they're looking for, his name is Jesus. He's the Sabbath breaker. You'll probably want to talk to him. This man completely misses the point, doesn't he? He completely misses the point. We're prone to make all kinds of judgments about this man and about his reactions. In fact, the way this guy acts, it's very tempting to find humor in in what he's doing and how he's missing the point. But that's not the point. Here's the point for all of us. The message to all of us is, don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. We need to understand what the Lord Jesus is revealing here. This man totally missed the point of Jesus' miracle. Let's not us do the same. This miracle, this sign, this revelation of Jesus' power leads to a discussion about the Sabbath. Because the man's not the only point, one who misses the point about Jesus' sign. The Jews miss the point as well as we come to the second point. The Jews do want to talk to Jesus after this miracle. But they don't want to honor him. They don't want to find out from where he gets this great power to heal. They don't want to speak about his authority. No, and we read in verse 16, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus has just healed a man who has been an invalid for 38 years, and the Jews are upset about Sabbath rules. There's a big disconnect there, isn't there? Now, a good question to ask would be, which rules are the Jews concerned about? And we might think of Jeremiah 17, 22, and 27, do not carry any load. And we might think of how the Lord said, if you carry a load on the Sabbath, it's going to bring trouble to the whole nation. You're going to be destroyed. Your Sabbath observance is related to your punishment. And so God commands them to obey his Sabbath, that it might go well for them. That's the closest thing to a rule we read about carrying things on the Sabbath. But it's clear that Jeremiah is not talking about walking around the city with a mat in your hand. He's talking about doing commerce. And there's other, there's other aspects as well to his Sabbath command. But he's talking about doing business. He's talking about wheeling and dealing. That's the problem. The people were paying no regard to the Sabbath. It was as if the Sabbath was as any other day for them. And so this charge of breaking the Sabbath has less to do with the Sabbath laws as in God's word. And it has more to do with the inventions of the Jews regarding the Sabbath. It has more to do with the rules that they had cooked up about how you should observe the the Sabbath. There was, we need to know, in this time period in Israel, there was a real strong spirit within Judaism of 
of holding on to the law and of building a strong society through the strict and expansive adherence to the law. They thought if we observe the law, in fact, if we even observe more than the law that God has given us, we we put laws around the law in order to protect us from breaking God's laws, then things will go well for us and God will bless us. They believe that through that strict approach to the law as a nation, they would remain in God's favor. And the fortunes of the nation would be reversed. They had experienced the punishment that Jeremiah spoke of. Jerusalem had been destroyed. And so they thought now through through observance to the law, now may perhaps God would restore his people. They rightly understood that God had punished his people because they paid no attention to his law and because they had embraced false worship and wicked practices as a nation. But they concluded wrongly that since their downfall had come through the law, that their salvation would likewise come through their strict observance of the law. And so here's this man. Here's this man, Jesus. He's doing all these things. He's gaining a following. And now he's breaking the Sabbath. This kind of wickedness could not be tolerated in Israel. These kind of people were a menace to society. Do you see the connection between what Jeremiah said and what the Jews are saying here? This sort of Sabbath breaking in their minds had been tolerated before and it had brought disaster to God's people. It couldn't be tolerated again. People like Jesus are no good for the nation of Israel. Jesus wasn't only wrecking their Sabbath. Jesus was wrecking their whole nation. That's certainly what they thought. So how does Jesus respond to them here? There are many things he could have said. He could have spoke to them about their understanding of history. He could have gone through the various texts about the Sabbath and showed to them what it was speaking about, what it wasn't. But he left all that behind. And he he goes right to the point. He goes right to the point with them. He uses this as an opportunity to point the Jews to who he is and what he's going to continue to do through his ministry. The point in the miracle is the same point that Jesus raises in his response. Who is he? Consider his power and consider him who stands behind this great power. Consider what he is doing and what he's done in healing this man on the Sabbath. What's the only conclusion that that can lead to? The Jews want to talk about Sabbath and work. Okay, Jesus will talk about Sabbath and work. And he'll he'll bring them right to who he is, getting right to the point. He'll leave behind squabbles about mats and men. And Jesus pronounces, my father is always at work to this very day. And I too am working. The Jews know exactly what Jesus is saying here. Because they they say not only is he breaking the Sabbath, but he's calling himself equal with God. He's calling God his own father. My father is always working to this very day, and I too am working. 
My father, Jesus says, is busy at work in this world. The God of the universe is not inactive on any day of the week. Yes, he rested on the very first Sabbath because his creation was perfect. Because everything was as it should be. But ever since the fall into sin, God has been working, working to bring salvation to a people prone to rebellion and to a world lost in darkness. God is working in this sinful world, Jesus says. God, the father is busy reconciling all things in this world to himself. And so the son sent from heaven to carry out the father's will must also work on all days. That's the point of Jesus' miracle, that Jesus is coming to carry out the Father's work of reconciliation in this world. Jesus is coming carrying out the work that the Sabbath points to. Jesus is the Sabbath. In healing this man on the Sabbath, he shows his power to undo the effects of sin. He shows his power to reverse the effects of sin and suffering in the legs of the invalid man. Actually, the picture is really striking, isn't it? This invalid man did nothing for his own salvation. He did nothing. He was just sitting by the pool, totally unaware. And Jesus went to work on him and healed him. What better picture of the Sabbath than that? This man, with no regard for the work of the Lord, but yet God in his grace, And in compassion, working powerfully on an undeserving sinner. That's the point of Jesus' miracle. And that's the point he makes to the Jews. But there are only two responses to the work that Jesus carries out in the world. It's it's so preposterous in a sense. It's so grand that there's only two responses. You either believe it. Or you reject it. You either believe it and live. Or you reject it and you carry on. In darkness. And in opposition. And the Jews at this moment choose the latter. They miss the point. They miss the point. And so the message continues to be to us. Don't miss the point. Don't let anything distract you. From the person and the power. Of Jesus Christ. As he brings healing and life to this world. Don't miss the point. Of the Sabbath either. Because it is to point you to Jesus Christ. And to the work that God is doing. Through him. Don't let your man made interpretations. Crowd out the glory of him. Who is the Lord. Of the Sabbath. Jesus. Finally as he. Reveals himself. Through the discussion about the Sabbath. Reveals that he is the son of God. And the son of man. Yes Jesus Christ is Lord. Of the Sabbath. He is Lord of all. And he's not finished making his point clear. To the Jews. He hasn't come as some rule breaking healer. Some person who can be. Rejected. Or or put off. He has come as the son of God. And the son of man. The gist of his response to the Jews. Going on. In verse 19. Is this. You guys can't even understand when I heal this man. You you don't get the point of that. Well are you ever going to be in the dark. 
when you see the things that are going to happen, when you see how much power I'm going to reveal, you haven't seen anything yet. You see, the healing of the man was just a sign. It was just a sign to point them past the sign to Jesus Christ. That's how signs work, right? Signs are not the thing. We don't come here on Sunday morning and gather on the sign outside of our building. No, the sign points us to here that we can gather here. The point of a sign is to point past itself. And that's what the miracles of Jesus do. And we can't miss that. So many people miss that today. They read about these miracles in scripture and, and they get fixated on them. The point of Jesus' miracles isn't that he, he, he helps every sick person out of a tough spot. He has compassion. He certainly does. But that's not the point. The point is that he has the power to turn the whole stream of sin and sickness and suffering and death. That whole stream is going one direction and he has the power to stop it and to turn it in another direction. He has the power to do that. He didn't come to heal sick people. He came to die for sinners. And so when he was healing the sick, he was pointing them to believe in him so that they could have life in him through his death on the cross. He didn't come to make sick people better. He came to make dead people alive forever. Verse 20, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. God the Father is powerful enough to raise the dead. And the same has that, the Son has that same power to give life. Jesus gave life to the legs of an invalid man. That was something. But Jesus is going to do even more than that. Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. As he says, for God's glory and the glory of the Son, so that those who witness these miracles may come to the only possible conclusion that this power is the power of God. Or that they might reject it. There's no other choice. So the ultimate display of Christ's power and glory, though, will not come through when he raises Lazarus from the dead. The ultimate display of his power and glory will come through his shame and suffering on the cross. Where he himself will go to the grave for the sins of his people. But by the power that he shares with the Father in heaven, he will be raised to life again. So this is the point. Again, Jesus makes it explicit in verse 24. This is the point that the whole gospel of John is organized around. Believe in God. Believe in the word of God spoken by Jesus Christ and given here for us. Believe in the power of God at work in Jesus' healing. Believe in the Son of God and live. See all the signs that are pointing to him and believe. Believe that as a son of God, he has come to make peace with you, between you and God in heaven, that you might have everlasting life. Believe that he's the son of God and you will live because he has the power to give you life. But also believe that he is the son of man. He is the son of God, but he is also the son of man. 
Jesus reaches back to the to Daniel chapter 7 and speaking about the Son of Man, the one who would be given authority and power and, and glory, that all nations and all people of every language would worship, that he would have an everlasting dominion and a kingdom that would not be destroyed, that Jesus would come as the Son of Man with authority, yes, to save, but also to condemn. will be an authority to judge those who continue in their unbelief, in their opposition, and in their sin. The Jews here in this passage, as they reject Jesus, in their narrow-mindedness, in their opposition, and most of all in their unbelief, are on the wrong side of history, aren't they? They think they're clinging to God's law, but as Jesus says, you, you, you think that you search the scriptures because you think that by them you might have life, but you need to come to me. Jesus is the savior that the scriptures promise. Jesus is the one that they must come to, but they don't realize what's happening right in front of them as Jesus comes and points them to his power, to his identity, that he is the savior. They think that they're fighting for the well-being of their nation and of their religion. But meanwhile, they're fighting against the only one with the power and the authority to save their people and to save them too. So brothers and sisters, don't miss the point. Don't miss the point of God's word. Not with legalistic man-made rules about the Sabbath. Not with moralizing judgments about those who break those rules. This is the point. Believe in Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. Believe in in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man. Believe in Him who has the power to heal your diseases for all eternity and to rescue you from condemnation. Believe the word that reveals him to you. Believe in him. Then you have crossed over from death to life. Everlasting. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.